My name is Isaac Kujude Noabua, and you're welcome to the Change Africa podcast. Every Thursday, together with my co-host, Daniel Merki, we sit with Africa's most inspirational leaders and have in-depth conversations around the stories that shape their life and impact. For the next eight weeks, we've partnered with Teta Sakura in this special series to dissect the stories of all the eight speakers of Teta Sakura, Agents of Change 2022. Join us in these up-close and personal conversations that promises to be inspiring, captivating, and motivating. Hello. So today we have a very special guest um, here who is leading one of the truly transformational institutions in Ghana, focusing on education. And education is a big thing around Africa. How do we transform education to really bring out the brightest potential in students? And our guest is doing exactly that. She is the founder of the Wheel Learning Group and leader of the VITS. Um, school. She is a gifted teacher and she's a serial entrepreneur among so many other things that we're going to learn about her on the podcast. So, if you're happy, let's welcome the truly amazing <laughs> Miss Precious Wonsu. Hi. Hi, Precious. How are you doing? Hello. 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 Great. Um, so, where do I start from? Tell us about this school. What really is this school and the whole learning group? Okay, so the WIT school, the WIT stands for Wisdom Intelligence Training and it's for our learners to imbibe what wisdom is. So we go beyond just letting you know uh, about what you need to learn, but also applying those uh, things that you learn in school in your life, you know, now and into the future. But uh, principally, also not forgetting that character building, it's critical. You know, there are so many super bright children or, you know, when they become adults. And it's quite difficult to get them to work in a team because time management is off, you know, self-regulation is not there. Um, They are unable to truly have a proper social-emotional connection with other people. And so... Um, the WIT School was founded on, on those values and those ethos that you, we needed to raise and prepare human beings that could fit into society and critically think through problems and find solutions that fit into our context. Well, we found that um, principally we just borrow and come and try and do it here. Whether or not it works with our cultural dispensation, nobody cares. And so we wanted to have the ideal Ghanaian and African child who could be globally competitive and competent at all levels. So that's what the WIT school is truly for. And since we started about five years ago, we've, we've worked with close to 300 children during all kinds of our programs. You know. So we work throughout the, the year. So it's a school that never sleeps, literally. When schools are on vacation, we're doing vacation programs. Over the weekends, we're working because learning, it's not something you can pause or stop. It's, it's an everyday thing. And we truly want um, to have the African that is transformative, that's it's creative, that's innovative, and somebody that you can put on a global stage and they will stand on their own two feet and truly wow others. So you were born in Germany. Germany? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what was that experience like? And did that 
kind of social environment, how different it is obviously from the Ghanaian one, influence your education mm -hmm. and perhaps trigger a consciousness to want to do something about that. Right. Um, so what it was was my, my parents moved to Germany when they were younger. So they saw a different perspective to life and what it truly means for a child to be truly educated. It doesn't begin and end in the classroom. And so my home setting was basically a place where learning was happening every day without you thinking it was learning. So while you're in the kitchen trying to help out, you're learning about the nutrients, you're learning how to use your math to really decide how much um, of a thing you needed to get stew working the way it should so that you don't have too salty or no salt at all. <laughs> um, so um, it, it was that kind of experience that I had where after school I had so many things going on in my in my home setting because the, the thing about education is, is it, it doesn't happen just in school everything that's happening around you is an avenue for you to learn something and so the difference between there and here or people who have uh, a Western form of education if you're if you're especially in the Scandinavian and European side because the Western is what has been brought down here really um, is that they, they care more about what your competences are rather than what you went to school to learn because it's one thing learning about let's say surgery and another thing actually opening up a human being and doing what you need to do so for them, they focus more on, on, on making sure you have the skill set. And so everybody is truly getting the knowledge and the skill. So you have the, the, the general knowledge and then you have the applied knowledge as well. So the difference was that, am I able to translate the kind of educational experience I had when I was younger, which gave me room to do 50 times more than my average classmate that I was with? Um, down here or I'm going to just follow through the traditional way because mind you I did most of my education in Ghana by the way and so I know what the problems are I know where the issues are and the issues where content delivery you know if I if there's somebody that can teach you how to use a camera in a way that you take the photo and nobody cares to look at it twice and there's a person that will teach you how to set the camera right, you know, the kind of lighting you need. All those things are little bits and bobs that our education system is missing, that I truly thought Ghanaian children deserved the better end of the stick. Yeah. That's truly insightful, especially around content delivery. We're going to talk about teachers. Yeah. We're going to talk about those things you, you spoke about, the touch on, like play by learning and yeah. all of that. But I want to start off with something that you wrote on Twitter. I saw something you wrote on Twitter. It says that <laughs> if all schools teach the same subjects, how are we preparing our children to change the world? Yeah. And obviously because it was a tweet out to the world, now you get a chance to <laughs> what, what, If you teach all children the same subjects, yeah. uh, were you inching towards kind of giving individual based learnings based on people's potential? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's also... It's a more customized way of learning. Mm -hmm. It's more individualized. It's about tapping into the interest of 
every individual in the classroom because all let me count we're about what eight people in the room right now but they could probably only see three of us mm -hmm. it does not mean that the eight, the the five others aren't relevant but the education system focuses on certain things so you learn about math you learn about science what about the kid that wants to play football what about the kid that is truly gifted in doing art how about the kid that wants to do photography and and speak for instance none of that is nobody cares about those things but then we get into the world and they are looking for videographers they are looking for photographers they're looking for artists they're looking for speakers okay so are we supposed to just fall from the sky who's teaching us that aside that this whole standardization of learning where we are all supposed to know one thing at a certain time when you're six years old you should know a to z and this and that well really and truly when we come out into the world the world is not a standardized place the way you do your podcast is completely different from the way everybody else does their podcast what you are interested in hearing what your audience i, we, I mean the world is so diverse but our education system is so one way and then you get into the world and then they tell you you're supposed to do this thinking outside the box. Okay, great. That's a good thing to know. But if you knew that you were going to require me to think outside the box, why did you give me the box in the first place? And the, those boxes are moving from grade one to two to three to four to five to ten. And then you're thinking, why am I even here? Then they give you a piece of paper called a certificate. And then you're asked as an engineer to actually engineer. And you have no idea what you're doing. If I ask most of the creatives, who are doing the things they're doing now. They probably learned, what, astronomy, whatever. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they woke up one morning and they're like, you know what, forget this. I'm going to do what I actually want. But if the school space was created where everybody will blossom, because Howard Gardner, if you read about his, mm -hmm. uh, his theory of multiple intelligences, will tell you there are about eight of them. There are people who are just people smart. They can get you to do things that I can get you to do, but maybe I can talk to you in a way where you would listen. So we all have individual levels of intelligences, but you all have the eight. That's the thing. But you have degrees. So let's say um, Beyonce is musically intelligent. She's highly musically intelligent, but it doesn't mean she can't kick a ball. However, she can't play football like Cristiano Ronaldo. Neither can Cristiano Ronaldo sing as she does. Maybe I'm gifted at teaching, but does it mean I'm also gifted to, to, to um, for instance, sing? So that's why when, when the standardization of education is dumbing us down, nobody is talking about it because when education was created, mass education, they were looking for people to work in factories. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't for, nobody cared about what you had to say or think. Or, <laughs> but now the world is evolving in a space where if you can't critically think, if you can problem solve. And the factories can. are, the humans in the factories are very replaced. Exactly. Like there are no factories anymore. Like, they, you know, AI is doing everything. They are automating like, <laughs> devices. Right. Yeah. But human beings are supposed to automate these things. Mm -hmm. But if you can be creative and innovative, how are you going to survive? So I, I think, um, you know, people make jokes about if you if you resurrected somebody from AD 600, the only thing they can identify is our education system. <laughs> because we're still sitting down like the Socrates listening to lectures. You know, nobody's creating anything. Nobody's doing 
uh, none of those things. And so when I tweeted that, what I meant to say was that I, I wish we had schools that we could say this is a school for creative children. So if you had a kid that was interested in arts and take them there. And then we had schools for culinary arts where kids are making all kinds of things, confectionery, you know. We have a school for engineering and it doesn't matter how old you are. And so that when we all come into the world, we're coming to a multidiscipline space where we're coming as experts in what we're doing and not we're penny pinching on a lot of things. So we are a jack of all trades. Nobody's an expert at anything. You know, it's because even in school, look at how our timetables are. You get in in the morning and before you go to your first break, you've already gone through seven subjects. You're doing math, you're doing science, you're doing this, you do 12 subjects. Are you going to master any of those things, right? So if you went to school on a Monday, which is something that we do, and the whole Monday, the theme is critical thinking and problem solving skills. It could come through math, it could come through um, science, inquiry-based learning, whatever it is. That's all you're doing that Monday. So you, you get the chance to deeply understand what you're learning. So that, there's that love that is developed rather than jumping from, because as soon as they're enjoying the podcast class, the science teacher is peeping through the window, excuse me, it's now my turn, you know, it's, it's my time. And, and so nobody is training us to truly become masters of what we're doing. And that's why I feel we're so far behind from most, you know, societies. So my inquiry to that is, mm. I've always had a skepticism for how early you can define or identify <laughs> talent, right? right? <laughs> because now we're saying that someone should be going to a culinary school because they have an interest. How mm -hmm. do you identify the interest? Yeah. Especially at that age, mm -hmm. you do a pre-education, yeah, we do all the way to yeah, yeah. 15 years, yeah. actually. Mm -hmm. But how do you kind of identify that? What are the signs and what does the model of education you adapt mm -hmm. allow you to see the signs of mm -hmm. a kid? Mm -hmm. As young as they are, six mm -hmm. months, yeah. one year, two yeah. years, see their inclinations. Mm -hmm. what, what, how does that come to life? So what we do at our school is something we call the innovative learning. So it's purely project-based learning. So what it means is that um, for the lower classes, they're doing play-based learning. So if you put a bunch of kids in, in this room and you peep through that window, one of them will look at the light, will just be like this by the light for minutes. Other people will be touching this. Others will be just sitting down doing nothing. So those are, what would you say that talent is? For me, I see a kid that is observant. And observant people gravitate towards science. The science is, is inquiry. They want to know why things are the way they are. Engineers also do that a lot. So as, as young as six months, one year, what you would normally see is the child, their parents will tell you, when my son sees a football, it's like <laughs> everything in the world stops. So it's about what you're gravitating towards. When people talk about, I'm finding it difficult to find my purpose, it's because of the kind of value we place on certain things. So you, you think that because you're fascinated about light and the world it doesn't value people who work with lights, right? But gay make a lot of money. 
in <laughs> like people who set up the studio lighting for Disney Pixar most of them are millionaires but because our society values doctors more than for instance even teachers right if you see that your child loves to teach other people how to do things most parents will pretend they didn't see that <laughs> but when their son loves computers and all of all of a sudden they want the whole world to know that they probably wouldn't they, like that in 1980 maybe yeah definitely so and and the, the beauty about children and growth and development is they they morph into so many things like the the evolution of a child is something that should be studied i think you know how you know they can study flowers and they morph from butterflies to you know, like uh, moths and cocoons they need to do that for children because so many of us when we were two years, we said we wanted to be scientists. Then we moved to artists. Then we moved to chefs. Then we moved to whatever. And then now we're who we are. So the human being, it's not one that you can actually box into anything. When NASA scientists wanted to find out about creative geniuses and whether or not we're born with it or we are prepared to become geniuses, um, the first four, to four and five-year-olds, they chose uh, 1,600 children. Out of that, 98% were considered creative geniuses. They were kindergarten kids. Because in kindergarten, nobody is saying you should do X, Y, Z. You're just there, right? When they found those same children, five years later, they were now 10 and in grade five. That number had dropped down to 32 and they found them in grade, well, they were 15 years. The number had dropped down to 12. By the time they were adults, like you and I, it was down to 2%. So, but they had gone through school. So the question is, the four and five-year-olds who were home or in kindergarten, daycare, if they, they had 98% of their creative geniuses at that age, what happened to the point where by the time they're 25, it's dropped down to 2%. It's because of standardization of everything. So back to your question of how do you find the talents and where to put them and whatever, leave the children to blossom. So our approach to teaching and learning and pedagogy is universal intelligence. We're, we're training you to be intelligent, basically, so that wherever you find yourself, because one thing that we teach them that most of the curricula around miss and is so vital is transversal skills. There are so many things that you and I are doing that nobody taught us. How you're able to do it is because you gain certain skills that you've put together and that has been able to make you do this. So for instance, for a graphic designer to create a postcard, they need to understand the concept of space. Well, if it's a rectangle, you were taught rectangles when you were in kindergarten. Nobody will go to, you know, graphic design school and they will say it's not to teach you shapes. This one is a circle and this one is that. So transversal skills is if I teach you shapes and you see sandwich and it looks like a triangle, it should pull, you should you need to be able to transfer the knowledge from kindergarten to the sandwich. So 
if you are able to train a child to be intelligent, they can wake up in the morning and decide to move from being a doctor to an engineer and they will thrive. You know why? Because it takes the same skill of breaking parts of a vehicle to breaking the same parts of a human being, putting them together, if you, if you really think about it holistically. So everything is interconnected. Just allow them to use their brains. I always say that the WIT school is a thinking school. If you cannot think, you will really struggle. Because instead of saying, what is five minus three? We ask you, if I give you five oranges and your mom takes three out of those five oranges, how many oranges do you have left? And you need to think, right? But when you just say five minus three. It's not contextualized. Thank you. So the day they will go to your house and you're like, but I gave you seven oranges and take it's a, first of all, it's okay, what's uncle talking about? Because the association takes, doesn't exist. It doesn't, it's just, thank you. Like, there's no connection. It's like, okay, if it's not five, there are children that you would ask them, what is two plus three? You say five. Okay, what is three plus two? Auntie, they didn't teach me. Okay, but mm-hmm. what is two plus three? Said five. What is three plus two? The, the fact that they can't identify that you've just Swap. literally swapped the position, there is the problem. Yeah. That is the problem. So the fact that you can't, if you can't reverse engineer what you've taught somebody, they haven't truly understood what you've done. Yeah, that's really insight. If you can't read, reverse engineer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If they can't pull it apart, if you've helped me to put something together, and you tell me to pull it apart, and I cannot think to pull it apart. It means I didn't really follow the process to putting it together, because otherwise I need to know that, okay, he pushed this thing here, locked it this way. So if I want to unlock it, I have to do a reverse of what you've taught me, right? So it's it's very, it sounds like the non-essentials. It sounds like the insignificant little portions. It's like that bolt you forgot to put in your car tire that if you don't have it there, you get a serious accident. <laughs> but we, we, th- we want the car tire. We want the car. Okay, what about the bolts and nuts? Like somebody needs to really screw us in. We're not screwed on straight. Honestly, this is loosely fitted. Very. <laughs> it's like, there are no bowls. Like, and I okay. think that's something that we talk about myself and Daniel. It's like people just know enough to go, but not truly enough to make the impact. No, not at all. I, I don't understand why you claim you're a writer and then I tell you to start a blog and you're looking at me like you don't know how to start. Okay, but you're a writer, right? It's the same thing. It's just that this time you're not writing on pen and paper. You're typing, you're publishing um, virtually or digitally. But it's, it's, it's that disconnection. That's, that is where the problem is for me. And typical of me, everything that I have done in the process of my journey has been, okay, what's the problem? Ghanaian children don't like to read. Why don't they like to read? Nobody questions that. They don't like to read not because they hate books, because there are no books Excuse me, you go to, I visit my friends all the time. I go to homes all the time. I go to offices all the time. There are no books. So how can you think that I would just wake up one day and fall in love with something that is non-existent? Do you know why TikTok is all over the place? 
because you turn left, right, center, and it's everywhere, right? So the, the something being ubiquitous is everywhere. It's like MTN. Everybody's using MTN because maybe it's the best, but because it's, it's the easiest to quickly lay your eyes on. So the children are not reading not because they don't they don't want to read. It's because there are no books to read. So in our school, for instance, we have the first hour of school is called Golden Hour. So it's like our morning devotion. Our morning devotion is exposing children to reading material, whether it's a magazine, a book. Even if you can't read, people will tell you babies tear books. Um, I can't relate because they don't. Because if you expose them to books when they were younger and you were flipping and they were babies, even I tell pregnant mothers of mine to read to their babies while in the womb they respect books they don't tear books they don't think it's something to <laughs> right it's when i'm just sitting in my corner i have not seen a book before and now you show up with something well it looks like it's <laughs> terrible thank you so i'll just rip it apart right it looks like, the paper, it looks like you know? that's really yeah. cool to tear and so it's it's about the journey that you you walk yourself through and children at my school they, they would just be sitting there and ask you, what's there to do? You tell them there's nothing to do. Okay, then can we go to the library or can we read? Of course you can. Because in every classroom, they have like their own mini library. Again, it's all about exposure. When children are younger, they are very impressionable. Mm -hmm. If you have a lot of, if your children like playing a lot, check your environment. Everything there is for play. So what do you want me to do? Children who love to read a lot, they probably had parents who were reading all the time. As I'm in a book, everybody tells you to read all the time. And children typically don't listen to what you're saying. They do what you're doing. So fathers who have children playing with computers a lot, if you ask them, they are themselves, you know, software engineers. It's what they see. That's what they will follow. So even in the school environment, what is there? Isn't this desks? I... I what mortified me was going through schools and I'm thinking, this is supposed to be a very high-end school. Why are the kids literally sitting on tables and desks? There's no inspiration on the wall. It's as blank as a beautiful like studio. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, what are they supposed to learn? Because then what is happening to their brain is that the world is empty. There's no inspiration. There's nothing to think about because... If you had a sign, there are so many signs in our school, and when you're climbing the stairs, it would tell you every child is a genius waiting to be discovered. Imagine walking past that every single day. If you're not acting like a genius, you will start you know, thinking, okay, am I in the wrong space? And when you're descending down the stairs, we have a tall poster that has um, astronomy stuff. So you, you learn about the planets and it, it's so shocking how children have conversations with their parents and say, do you know that Pluto is a dwarf planet? Nobody taught them that. It was on the wall. They've just been walking around it and then they picked it up. Okay, what's a dwarf planet? They will tell you that and that Pluto was demoted. For The fact that a child knew that it was part of the planet and they were demoted, that's intriguing for me. And so most of the things that we struggle to teach children, all we had to do is to just show, them. show it to mm -hmm. them. Just put them on the wall and, and they will gravitate towards those things. Because we're born to learn. 
as much as school makes us hate learning, we're born to naturally learn. Most of the things that you do, trust me, nobody taught you how to do that. Because learning comes from observation and experience. Sometimes you're just sitting in a space, things are happening, happening, happening. You find yourself doing the same thing. It's just like walking, talking. How is it that when we're home, we're able to start speaking? And when we go to school, the math, the French teacher will be shouting plenty and no French is sticking. Because you're teaching me. There's no avenue for learning to happen. And then learning comes through study as well. I can sit in a corner, do something over and over and over again, memorize it, and then it will come. And learning comes from instruction. So there are three ways to learn. Observation, experience, which is one. Um, through study, which is independent study, where you sit with yourself. Some people will tell you, I self-taught myself to do whatever. And then through instruction. By the, but formal education only does instruction. You cannot go and sit in your corner and go and do anything that you like. You cannot say, I'm sitting there and I'm observing you people. <laughs> they will whoop you. So if we spend 99% of our time teaching, 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 what time is left for children to actually learn? Because if you, if you speak to neurosurgeons, neuroscientists, they will tell you that it's actually when we're sleeping that we learn. So when I want something to stick, I read it before I sleep. And when I wake up, I can tell you everything. Because when you're at rest, is when your brain starts pulling all the things that you fed it. If you take a look at the word school, it came from ancient Greek, and it meant leisure. Literally, we're supposed to go to school and chill. <laughs> I just go there. And you're like, oh, that's the lie. Oh, that's really cool. What do we want to do today? Are we singing with these mics or we're talking? That's what we're supposed to be doing in school because for them, leisure enables you to imagine. So it's, it's, that, it's that time that you're reflecting, you're imaginative, your creativity is popping. When somebody is talking to you, you can't think. You know, when somebody is lecturing at you, they are feeding you with what they think you should know. There's no room for you to imagine things and create things and be innovative. And so when now school has become a place of work, where, in fact, even when you're going for a break, you said, this boy, he likes playing too much. <laughs> that's, that's a problem. That's a challenge. And we have close to an hour and a half of recess in our school. You work for 45 minutes and you go and do recess. Whether it's running around, sitting, whatever you want to do, just go and chill out and come back. Because now they'll be ready to take in more. Yeah. 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 I mean, it makes a lot of sense. But um, maybe for illustration sake, mm -hmm. so you mentioned, for instance, the child that likes to play with the ball. Yeah. So now, let's say this young child who mm -hmm. really just likes to play with the ball. Yeah. All the time. So how does that pan out? Yeah. So um, when I, whenever I say, okay, they like to play well, ball, it's, people think, okay, that's a footballer. No. If you love geometry, typically most engineers love shapes. It's like they're intrigued about how, why is it a sphere? And, you know, even the color, it could be an artist as well. It could be that that boy, when they see a yellow object, something sparks up. It could be movement. 
could be a child that's truly intrigued about things spinning and moving and so there are so many things that happens when a child is younger now you can aside the things that god created you to become your environment can change who you are so some of us may never be able to salvage our creative skills or our creative art skills because it's been I'm one of them. <laughs> it's been killed so much to the point where you feel like well, not entirely. I, I write and stuff like that, but I can't paint. Good. Yeah. And it's fine. You and I probably could when I was a kid. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Because when I was younger, I spent most of my time illustrating, painting plenty. But do I want to be doing that? I don't think so. And sometimes there's that allowing them to explore it's also a good thing because again my goddaughter started from she wants to be an artist to now i think she wants to be software engineer or something she's only 10. who knows what she would want to be when she's that's nine. very early to be a software engineer i know but she's doing it you know she started a business she's selling candy on campus we're working on the numbers because i'm thinking she needs more money <laughs> but the fact that she, you know she's interested in those things at age 10 is intriguing to me but how is that possible because she's in an environment where we encourage those things so to answer your question do not again forget about boxes you know when you see your child interested in something encourage them to follow their interest because on your journey of life you can say you're going to Medina but from Tete question to Medina there are so many things on the way there's so many it's they going to somewhere that you can pass through it's they going to get there are so many routes to get there and remember i spoke about transversal skills there's a there's a book that i really love that i think everybody should read it's called the alchemist mm -hmm. the treasure that Paul you Quill. seek yeah you have to go through leaps and bounds to get there but those lessons those stones you're picking on the way are vital to your final destination my uncle is an orthopedic surgeon, but that guy can do so many other things. He can decide to be a carpenter tomorrow and he'll be fine. Because sometimes he tells me that when he's hammering the spine into it, <laughs> it's some of the skills he learned when he was with his father in the workshop that they didn't teach them in surgical school. So everything that's on a child's journey through education, home, society. That's why I, t I tell parents, sometimes when you're ready to make children, you probably should move from where you live. Trust me. If that kid wakes up in the morning and all they see is the other kids <laughs> doing certain things, that's all they will dream and hope to become. And so impression is very, very key. Now, I want to talk about what children watch because television which has become like a digital nannies mm -hmm. digital it's, nannies <laughs> it's really a problem for me because nobody's talking to their children then they show up in the school and they're like my child has speech delays okay you think it's magic for you to start talking no you only can talk because somebody talked to you so it's a two-way street what happens when you're watching television is a it's passive you're just looking at the thing and the thing is just doing its thing and you're just enjoying it. It's not as active as you and I have in a conversation. 
So when you are trying to talk to them, they're looking at you like TV screen. Like, why is this guy expecting me to say back? Because when I'm watching TV, I'm not expected to respond to it. It's quite funny because for my master's degree, I, I wrote my thesis on using educational television content to promote early childhood education in Ghana. Because we don't have too many great teachers to go around. That's number one. And so when Americans fell into that kind of problem, they created Sesame Street. Mm -hmm. And Sesame Street, by the time the kid goes to school, they know they are, they know everything they need to know. We actually had um, someone on the podcast who used to be in charge of Sesame Street in Africa. Oh, that's amazing. I'd love to meet that person. Because it prepares the kids for school. So they teach them, they achieve everything. Now, that's completely different because when you watch Sesame Street, they ask questions. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if this is a circle, it's very active. And so the kid is thinking that uncle on TV is talking to me. Let's take Coco Melon, for instance. It's just a bunch of inanimate objects singing and it's so colorful. And I talk about stimulation for kids. Color stimulation is visual noise. And so the kid is just in zombie mode. They are just like that. Hypnotized. Thank you. That's the word. So they are hypnotized like, ooh, la la. And because it helps parents to feed them without them crying, and they're like, I told you, digital nanny is like, yeah, thank God. When that thing comes on, all the kids are like, ooh, <laughs> right? But then, what time do you spend developing that child's brain? Did you know that 95% of a person's brain develops at age 5? That's crazy. Because then you have your whole, and then by 25 is when you get to 100. So you, from 5 to 25, that's 20 years. Only 5% of your brain power is developed in 20 years. But from 0 to 5, 95%. So imagine killing your 95% brain power under five, watching things on TV that doesn't develop you in any way. I don't know. Hmm. So you, you spoke around the fact that there are not enough books. Yeah. And I guess it speaks to a larger problem of local content production, yeah. right? Yeah. Trying to find content that really can be relatable to the kids right. in the purview of the environment that they are in. Mm -hmm. And you've tried to solve that in yeah. ways. I mean, yeah. more than your book, <laughs> The Magnitude. So can you tell us around how that problem really affects children's development mm -hmm. and the context of where they come from and your work in that, you know, mm -hmm. producing these beautiful illustrative books, yeah. doing a newspaper for kids. Yeah. Can you expand on that? Okay, so I, I think my journey is important to add that my journey started from let's try to solve the literacy problems in Ghana. Let's try to get as many children to read well, write well, and speak well. Because there's this thing about the Ghanaian child where they shun away from expressing themselves verbally. And so they could be dying and then they'll just be sitting there. They don't talk. It's like, okay. Even in the classroom, there's no avenue for talking. If you ask a question, hey, put your hand down, sit down. You know, I've been through it, so I know. And so most people are mute. And, but more importantly, the fact that we didn't have books to read came about when 
I will visit schools and I'll ask them, did you read a book today? And I'll say no. Why? Because library period is on Fridays at 2 p.m. And it lasts like two seconds and then you have to come back. Because, and if you, you're lucky if the math teacher would even let you go because they don't think it's an important thing. It's, it's not integral enough for them. Mm -hmm. That's what they're thinking. You need to pass your exam. And so reading Magic Tooth is not culture. important. Yeah. Thank you. And so... I was like, okay, fine. And for the kids that love to read, they'll tell you, Auntie, I don't have a book. And they are, they are right, there's no book. And for the parents that were buying books for their kids, Snow White, Cinderella, that's what I read, unfortunately. And so my dad one time went to, we had a, there was a bookstore that used to write, that used to sell African writers only. So Macmillan was producing mm -hmm. Publishing Africa, the African American, American yeah. Series, yeah. So he found that and he thought, oh, this is my big break. So the first book he bought for me was Sugar Girl, which I've stalked a lot at the school. I read that book and I was like, first of all, that girl looks like me because she had hair that they put that uh, thread in there. So they do that three sisters for you. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's my girl. And the context of even the kind of animals in the books, they were the cockerel. I could see them in my house. Yeah. And it, they were, it wasn't snow. And it wasn't some girl with blonde hair. And, and I, finally, I felt like even the names of the people in the book, you know, Gracie, it was truly transformational for me. Now, my first book, which was Magic Tooth, I remember it was based on that whole tooth fairy thing that they tell you, oh, go and put it on the ear. You know, those children but I was asking what's our own version of that I remember when I lost my frontal uh, tooth auntie told me to put it on top of the roof Very <laughs> 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 and I'm thinking first of all look at my limbs how can I hurl this thing all the way to this tall house if it doesn't and they will tell you if you, if you don't hear the uh, chicken yes. <laughs> then it will take you seven years to have your, your tooth back whether it was true or not I, I, I didn't know you have it back <laughs> so I'm, I woke up one morning and my tooth was gone and I'm thinking this thing will never show up so <laughs> I remember, but this was a project in, 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 in university, and I was so fortunate to do my course in university, is publishing studies. And what they teach you is to really go around the world solving problems, you know, in whatever form. So the project was write a children's book. And I told my roommate at the time, I have so many stories in my head, but listen to this one. I told her, and she was like, this is like the best story I've ever heard. I used one night to write the story. And this is, and I told you about reverse engineering. Every time I thought about writing a book, I was like, oh, this thing is so difficult. Because I have to write the story, then they will have to illustrate. I was like, then I was watching YouTube videos. I'm like thinking, I'll never be able to write a book. And I told you about the reverse engineer. I said, well... How about the things I imagine, the pictures in my head that I'm imagining? Let me write them as single sentences. The boy was going here, he had, let me write them that. And then let the illustrator illustrate first. When I'm looking at his pictures, the words will come 
It's like telling a child to open a book. What do you think is happening here? They can't read the words, but they are able to make meaning of the pictures. That's how I wrote the book in two days. And it was done. But all the other authors that were seasoned told me, oh, you could do it five months. And I'm thinking, I don't have five months. First of all, I was behind on my deadline in school. And I was like, if I... And, and the illustrator told me, I cannot illustrate the book with colors in three days. I can't do that. I need a lot of time. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, hmm, critical thinking, critical thinking. I said, send me the thing in black and white. So the first edition of this book, actually, was a color me version. So I told him, just do the cover page colored. So when you see the book, it looks bright and beautiful. But when you open it, it's for you to read the book and then color it in your own expression. Because maybe Isaac will color the boy's shirt red. You might do yours or everybody has their own interpretation of the world. And so I didn't want to. But it was me trying to be smart or missing my deadline. <laughs> My professors were like, oh my God, I, I can't believe you haven't thought about this innovator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that truly, that's really important yeah. solving, you know. Yeah. When you're pushed to the wall, then you start yeah, thinking. Yeah, you start thinking. I was like, look, they praised me. I, I won like the Nobel Peace Prize for this thing. <laughs> they thought I was the smartest. Uh, what you mean? Color me. And you know, children... I wrote the book for five-year-olds. So, obviously, they love coloring. You know, it's their the thing. The walls, especially. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, you know, my professors thought that was the most ingenious thing I'd ever done. But that was me trying to... But but that, you know, really taught me something. That every if we are allowed to really operate the way we were created to operate, there's nothing that is not great or is a mistake or... Because if you ask a lot of scientists, plenty of mistakes brought about the innovative things that they actually created. And so for me, the journey was not, okay, I'm going to wake up and become an author. It was about a project that I was doing. I felt completely in love with it. I was like, and children read my book and they can see themselves. The hair looks like this. Their teeth is as big as theirs because our teeth is not those shiny, shiny ones. I mean, I think reading in general is a lot about what you mentioned with the box. Yeah. I think reading, number one, even irrespective of what you read, it starts to enlarge in the it box. Does. It and does. then, of course, if you only have things that do not necessarily match with your match context, with then yeah. those are boxes you in in a yeah, different yeah, yeah. kind of yeah. way. Yeah. And I've been thinking about often recently that yeah. a lot of arguments discussion I have I re later realized it's like no it's yeah, the person yeah. is in a box so yeah. what you're trying to tell the they, person they, is they like they can't see beyond where you're yeah. Yeah. And so it's often that kind of yeah. standardization it's, or this is the way this is the way it we is, do it yeah we do it yeah and I think it exists everywhere but it's more extreme in a, because in our society yeah. we don't create yeah we're consumers we're like 90, in fact, 99.999999% <laughs> consumers. And so the reason why we don't have a lot of authors is because, well, if you're telling me to write a book, what's my inspiration? I've never read a book written by a Ghanaian before, so 
Okay, where do I start from? Elsewhere, people have examples. If you wanted to be an R&B artist, there are a million examples. There are so many different kinds of R&B artists even. But here, there are no examples. There are no heroes. There are no... There's, there's no places creating anything. So even if you wanted to intern at a publishing house, what are they doing? They're publishing other people's books. That's what they're doing. And for me, so if you wanted to be a book illustrator, you will stop because there's no industry for you. There's no space. And so contextualizing what we learn, so many of the things we learn, even in our textbooks, are completely out of our context. They be talking about when he bought, when he bought three candies, and excuse you, these kids have been seeing candies before. Why? Why is it not stones? Why is it not leaves? <laughs> like why? Why is it not trees? You know, it, it it's so damaging for our headspace in the sense that it's also why we've been indoctrinated to hate our own. I'd rather talk about snow than Hamatan. Because nobody has really done anything with Hamatan that makes it look cool. <laughs> but these white people create a snowman. Okay. And it's glorious. It's but so it's horrible. But it's terrible. <laughs> Unless you've not been in snow before, it's horrible. People are dying. Yeah. But still, when children see snow, they're like, ooh, because that's what they've been... They probably never had a story of people dying in snow. Never. People's cars being buried in snow. Nobody yeah. told them that, mm-hmm. right? But why... But they know about how time is going to break your skin. <laughs> they will yeah. tell you that, but if we had a book that, that spoke about how Hamatan came, everything dried out, uh, but then, you know, they discovered this lotion that was like something and the shade tree was like the magical thing mm-hmm. before you know no kid will want to have anything rather than shea butter because mm-hmm. that's what for them they saw that it was that shea magic we can call it whatever it is and so you it's our story it, 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 you won't force me to buy shea butter but if shea butter never came up in conversation now you're trying to change my mind it's not gonna work and even when we write the books what kind of outfits are the kids wearing you know it really gets me to thinking about something that's not really in the context of this conversation mm-hmm. but like how we want across africa to have locally um, goose consumed yeah right mm-hmm. this is a very interesting perspective on how we can do that oh, very children yes. because oh, i imagine yes. oh yeah that you know these powerful products trees that a lot of children don't know about Oh, if it yeah. is really imprinted in your brains as little as they are, oh yeah, it will just be a natural transition. It will yeah. not be. It won't be even it questionable. Won't even be a transition. Yeah, it it's just like something they know. This is all I know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is all I know, and it's it's so important how we downplay the the impact and the potential of using education to really, and it takes one generation. When you talk about a generation, people think it's like a million years. <laughs> it's only 50 years. By the time you and I are 50, our generation will be done. So, so it's like anybody who's 50 years old was in our generation, and it ends there. You know, 50 is over. It's because Whatever we will be doing at 50, what our belief systems will be, value systems, all of that. How are they going to change? Look, it's done. 
But we, we can take that zero to five year old now and make sure that everything we're feeding them is the African thing. From the food they eat to the last kukunti. I like to say that. And you will struggle to get them to like anything oh. which is not African because that's all they know. I think like we reverse that process. Mm-hmm. We wait till people mm-hmm. have fallen in love with a different culture and <laughs> yeah. we try to reverse it when yeah. it's too late. Yeah. I think one of the insights from this conversation is just the awareness of early child education oh, yeah. and how it can transform the person oh, yeah. totally oh, yeah. and how we do not pay attention to it. We don't. At all. At all. I mean, I tell parents, spend your Harvard University money in mm-hmm. kindergarten yeah. and your child can go to Give me the worst university and then True. still shine. Yeah. Because really, when you're building a building, it's the foundation that matters. It's not the glass and all those things that we do patch patch. If you if you watch the way we even build in this country, you see a nice building with pipes <laughs> running around it. And I'm thinking these Truly people, systemic. Guys, like, ah, nobody thought they would need AC, so they should pass it through the wall so nobody sees. All you see is the thing, it's there. But no, like, why can't we just... It's because we always do things after... After the after, It's like there are so many afterthoughts. So the child is now in grade five. They can't read, they can't write. Everything is working and now we have seven study teachers <laughs> you know like, I, I remember when I was younger my neighbors they would be whooping them you know <laughs> it's already done it's finished I, I tell parents that first 12 is so critical I, I'm going to write a book about how critical the first 12 years of a child when Jesus was 12 he was in the synagogue talking to people who had been learning the Bible since what? They were like probably 80 years old and 90 years. To be a scribe at that time, you knew the Bible in and out. You're a scholar. Proper scholar. This boy was sitting there at 12 engaging them in government, asking them questions they had no answers to. Forget about the fact that he was said to be God's son. And let's talk about the fact that he was a 12-year-old boy. Can you trust your 12-year-old boy to leave their parents who can't even leave their fifteen year old children. No, I've seen worse. They will be like, oh I've seen worse. No, they're not twenty one year old. No, seriously. <laughs> they are in the university and, and their kids call them twenty times a day. Because they are not confident enough no. in their kids' independence. There's no trust yeah. because and you can't blame them. What have you put in that child to trust them to survive no. in the studio without breaking the camera. If I bring my students here, you said we shouldn't talk during the interview. Well, they wouldn't talk. No camera would be falling because they have been trained systematically to operate in a certain way. Nobody was born to no, if you see a good kid nobody builds them to become like that. If, if, If you see a kid that you're struggling with, excuse you, Half of the time, nobody touched them. I tell parents, imagine planting a seed and not watering nothing. You are not mm. pruning. They are just there. They will become wildflowers. Do you mm-hmm. know that? <laughs> Meanwhile, they're supposed to be roses. But they'll become wildflowers with all the thorns and everything. So we cannot, as a society, think things will happen. That's mm-hmm. the challenge I'm having with every single thing we're doing, from our education system to our health system. We've left everything to God. 
And God gave us the world to dominate. Yeah. He will not come here to build anything for us, right? We're building Katimias instead. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> and he tells you that we're the temple. So somebody just didn't read the Bible. Because if you know you're the temple, you know that we don't even need churches. But I mean, it's the yeah. one thing that I struggle the most to understand. is like the disconnect yeah. from both individual and collective yeah. actions. And eventual outcomes. Right. It's, it, it's, it's oh. not there. Not it's there. not there. You ask people, okay, you're in university. Oh, yeah. What course are you doing? I think they read a lot of fairy tweets. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you're so right. Because if you read a lot of Gugua Nancy story, you know that it's cause and effect. The whole mm-hmm. world mm. is a cause and effect world. Gugua Nancy story, the guy took some yams. They put some sticky thing. He got stuck on it. The neighbors came to catch him, and it was over for him. So it teaches you that whatever you do, you're gonna get a consequence. You, thank, yep. thank you. But all these other ones will teach you, and they lived happily ever after. Mm-hmm. Do you know why they have the luxury of writing stories like that? They have built their society for millions of years. They've already done to the enable work. happily so ever after. So you can have a happy ever yeah. after because your father, grandfather is Rockefeller. So. Excuse me, I'm going to have a happy ever after. But you. <laughs> it's more challenging. Seriously. Yeah. You don't, you don't even get the happy <laughs> for it to hurt you ever after. So. so there's no happy for you to get any ever after. So for us, we have so much to do, but we've left it to... Seriously, I think God called me here to come tell everybody that's listening that he's not going to come and save us. We have to intentionally wake up in the morning and say, we're building our own society. And it starts with our people. Trust me, if they bus all of us, ship all of us to one of the best countries in the world, let's talk about Finland, for instance. Mm-hmm. In two months, we'll go and spoil that place, mm. and then they'll come and sack us. When they go back, they'll go and fix it again. And when we come back and they fixed here, yeah. we'll come and spoil it. Do you know why? One time I was talking and I said the biggest challenge we have in this country, in this continent, is low quality human beings. The human Ouch. capital. <laughs> <laughs> like you cannot use us for anything. It's as though we need puppeteers to say, okay, you're in this room, this one, stand here. But that's what we train the kids for. Thank you. So. Because when we go to school, all right, all right, all right, sit down. Today we're learning this. Don't ask me questions. Don't, in fact, remove mm. your brain, put it in a box somewhere, and feast on what I have to tell you. And we, they do that even to PhD level. Even in university, nobody is doing any research. You ask people what they did for their thesis, and they don't know the topic. Do you know why? <laughs> because the topic was even handed down to them. Most lecturers will say these are the topics for this year. Pick one. And do research on it, whether it's something you even like or not. not. That's that's it. And then the worst part is I can't do the course I want in university. Mm-hmm. You choose three, and then you do C C C C da 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 da. And then you say, oh, this boy, this boy. When I look at his face, the eyes will be very good for him. And they just dash it to you. So we're sitting in the classroom. They're thinking, ah, when would this four years be over? And then we go and find something to do. So we are not building anything. We are not creating anything. We are not intentional about what's the purpose of our education system and what mm. are we doing step by step to get there. 
I dream of a day in Ghana where our education system would say, maybe it's a one-pager, no long story of curriculum whatever, and a five-year-old Ghanaian child should be able to do one, clap your hands, two, sing hallelujah, three. Other schools that would say, we don't have it, so we'll go under the tree and start counting the leaves. If that's going to get them to... But as long as a Ghanaian child or a child living in Ghana at age five can have all these competencies, we've done our work. At age 15, all Ghanaian children should be able to type or something. How we're going to do that? Well, if it means busing the kids to some computers, whatever, to do it for one hour a week, we might as well because, I don't know, now you meet five, ten-year-olds, and everybody, is, we don't even have a, what's it called, we don't even have a style, say. You know, when cars are made, you see a Mercedes and you mm -hmm. see it, you see Nissan, you see it. It's like an we are not unique in any way. Some are speaking like Americans, some are speaking like Italian, mm. some are, I don't know, because there's no style, there's no, there's no path. And so we are lost. We get to the junction, which is JHS, SHS, and then this one pass here, this one passes here. Then we go and do runabout, and come and meet at Lagon or Tech. Hey, Charlie, what are you doing here? And then we finish school and do another roundabout and go and meet at the workplace. And the guy that was zero in class is now your boss. Because for him, he tuned out of what was yeah. happening in the classroom, probably decided to start some nice business. Mm -hmm. And now he's employing you. Yeah. First class student who can't do any first class work. We right? have spoken about this before. Yeah. <laughs> The one who didn't get socialized, yeah, or it was a blessing yeah, yeah, yeah. in disguise yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. the only one who at least figured things for oh, himself yeah, and thought course, differently, which is like very sad, you it's know. Very sad. I mean, for me, at the TED talk I spoke about, I was a school dropout that stayed in school. My parents would have killed me if I said, Okay, I'm not going inside that place again. But I went inside that place, but I shut myself out, whatever they were teaching me, I wasn't listening. But if I found something interesting, I'll tune in, mm. take notes, add it to what I'm learning. Because I needed to educate myself. Because I knew that what I wanted to become and what they are teaching me was apart. It's like you want to be a medical doctor, but you're in engineering school. And then you wake up after engineering school and show up at the hospital and say, oh, I'm here, give me a gown. They will slap you. <laughs> but that's why our education says nobody even asks us about uh, what we want to do. They don't care. If it's not doctor, lawyer, all those ones, they don't care. So I, I just wanted to talk about um, the finished model of education. But before that, I think this conversation is brilliant. And the reflection for me right now, one of the things like, for a kid who's very young, the yeah. most important thing you could do for them is to allow them to follow their curiosity. Right. Right? Yeah. Just allow them to follow their curiosity. And there's one thing that you said about the uniqueness of people. I've never considered in that perspective, which is that when you train people, it's from the original question, right? Yeah. When you train people to become one certain way, it's really difficult for them to expect uniqueness out of them. Yeah. 
So we need to figure a way so that we can really tailor make education, how, however difficult that is. Because right. people come in different fragrances yeah. and you need to make sure that you're optimizing for that unique as other person. That really is what distinguishes them yeah. from other people. Yeah. But yeah, back to the finished education, actually how that yeah. makes that possible. Your yeah. school, this school, yeah. is implementing that form of education. Can yeah. you expand on this? Okay. Can you tell us, tell us about the eight core principles mm-hmm. that really yeah. shine through that education system? Okay, so um, when I decided to start a learning center, mm-hmm. I like to call it that because really that's what it is. Because the whole concept of school is just... Yeah, schools are historically horrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm thinking, okay, this is a learning space. When a child enters this space, Everything should inspire What should learning. happen? Yeah. You know, what should they see? What should they hear? What should happen to them? Are they being transformed or is the same old story, different space? Um, then I Googled, it's very typical of me. If I want to start a podcast, what are the top five podcasts in the world or in Ghana? Yours will come up, of course. Thank you. And then, <laughs> I'll be like, okay, great, top five. So let me just go and be the best or amongst mm-hmm. the best. Mm-hmm. That's how I roll. So I'm thinking, what's the, I? And it's fascinating why I didn't write what are the top five schools in the world. I said, what are the top five education systems in the world? Because I wanted a system. I wanted to create a system. Because you talked about it's really yeah, systemic. The, it's the problem. very systemic and. It's very intentional. It's something you don't just wake up in the morning and think it will happen. It's work. It's really hard work. And it popped up in there. I'm thinking, first of all, if I ask people on the street, they'll probably think it's America or those ones. But they are in the bottom. They are at 50-something. Ghana is last, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a, there's a test called Pisces test, which tests critical thinking mm-hmm. skills. So... It's so easy. I remember one time I, I, I took the test and I scored 98. Now I'm thinking, oh, I'm so smart. So I'm thinking maybe because I'm older. So I pass it on to friends. Oh my God, 20%, 35, whatever. Because I, I didn't realize I was critical thinking. It's the fact that what you see is not what it is. You have to think through it. So... When Vinland popped up, I looked at what made them great. And first thing they said was teacher quality. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, hey, this is like Ghana's biggest issue. <laughs> <laughs> in Ghana, in our education system, the blind is leading the blind. <laughs> the child is a blind canvas. And then you go and bring some guy that doesn't even know how to hold a pencil to come and draw and paint uh, Mona Lisa. Okay. <laughs> We will figure it out. <laughs> but by the time we're done, it will be those things drawing. You know those things drawing? Circle here. <laughs> the bar is the yeah. body. You put the two hands. You put the this. And you put some dots, dots. That's the eye. And you're done. That is what the teacher-student relationship in most of our schools are. Because when you, when you read about how teachers go to teacher training colleges and Ghana, it's quite pathetic. The people that didn't make it to universities, the low-hanging fruits, the ones that are at the bottom, that struggle through schools and they didn't get anyone. So aggregated, maybe 60 or 100. 
<laughs> I was trying to. Look, you need to. You need to be a little cherish someone. Okay. No, seriously. Okay, let's make them fifty. As for teacher training college, you can come. How does that even make sense? Because the doctor is a doctor by virtue of a teacher. The grade six. None of the professions will exist without the teaching profession. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. don't. Uh, Look, sometimes it needs to be said. I think we, I need to start a church on teaching and education because <laughs> people need to come and sit there every Sunday and get illuminated about the problems and how visible it is. This guy that didn't like school, that failed through school, is now back <laughs> as my boss, as my teacher. He's teaching. What I need to know is in his hands. I don't understand how my chef is at my surgical table coming to open me. <laughs> that is what is that? If you look, look sometimes <laughs> you look like a fish. He <laughs> <laughs> will kill you. First of all, you are dead on arrival yeah. because the guy has no knowledge what he's doing. He probably can wear a butcher's knife. Meanwhile, he just needs a scalpel. He doesn't know where a scalpel is. My 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 point is. Teacher quality is something we don't even talk about. Then these people are trying to make us smart. First of all, teacher, how smart are you? That's by the way. Then they talk about content delivery. Again, comes back to the teacher. How are they teaching us what we need to know? Then they talk about equitable education. In Ghana, public school versus private mm. school serious disparity. Yeah, heaven and hell. Ah, Literally. and even in the private school, there's also a disparity. Mm -hmm. There are the high-end private schools, and then there are the low fee paying, and then there are the middle people. You know, they're not on each of the sides, but they are there. They exist. And the number of children in a school, for instance, so imagine you're taking care of 1,500 kids. One teacher is to 80 children. Chaos. Teacher-child ratio. Yeah. It's so big. Yeah. And then resources for teaching and learning. There are no books. You are telling me to read. Okay, come back to me when you're serious. Then our curriculum content. Our curriculum, the whole Finnish education system, they have the Comprehensive Basic Act of Education. And it's a two-page document. These are the competencies that children need to know at this age and stage. Finish. And this whole streaming of everybody else's education system where all six-year-olds are in class one. Whether you're ready for the class one or not, nobody cares. All nine-year-olds are in class something. They don't base theirs on that. If you come to the school and you're a six-year-old and you are competent enough to be in the nine-year-old group, that's where you're going. Because otherwise you're going to pull them back. And the ones that are struggling to, who are there in the class by virtue of their age, will never catch up. Because who is going to now hold your hand to teach you A, B, C, D when you should have learned that, you know, three years ago? But it's quite fascinating how when I adopted that system and I saw how transformative, like, Three-year-olds in my school, the things they can do. I remember when the Ghana Spelling Bee people came and said, oh, 
we take it from age seven. I'm like, then you're not, I'm not interested because my four-year-olds are ready. They can spell, my three-year-olds can spell osmosis, not because they have seen osmosis before or they know what it is. It's because they know the sounds of the letters. And so they know os is off and s. So os, O-S. Mo, they know is M-O. And sis, S-I-S. It's finished. I talked about the transversal skills. If you build them right, they are able to follow the beading and they, 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 they go up. And so, and it's quite strange because their, their, their education system is so innovative where they are able to change it. They are able to pull strings. If something is not working, it's not by force. The thing with our system is the thing is not working. We all agree it's not working, but because nobody wants to work on doing the changes, Let's do it like that. You take it like that. The kids will figure it out. No. And it's cheaper to do that kind of education as well. Because if children can, you know, from grade one to six to six years, if you can teach all that content in three years, why are they, why do we need those extra three years? A 16-year-old Finn who has finished high school it's probably on the same level as some of our PhD students here because of the things they know, right? But here, we wait until you're a certain age before we think you're ready to learn something. Mm -hmm. Intelligence is not age-bound. There are 20-year-olds who know nothing. There are seven-year-olds who are astronomers. Like, they know everything about NASA because they can do that. So for us, we decided to do a model where if you remove that kid from our system and put them in any system in the world, they should survive and not just survive, but thrive. I remember when we didn't have elementary school, our kids would move to all these big schools that you get named. And in our school, we don't grade them. There's no competition. Nobody knows who is first, who is second, who is third, who is nothing. You're just there, and you're all geniuses. It ends there. But we all know that Isaac is great at math. And this guy is super good when it comes. If we need somebody to talk for us, let's call this kid. That's what we know. Mm -hmm. And the kids appreciate that as well. So everybody knows they are the greatest at, at something. something. So that whole genius system is what it's based off on. They go to all these schools and their parents start sending us all these placards. Best in arts, best in communication, best in class, best in whatever, best in sports. Their parents are thinking, but when they were in our school, we thought they were like nothing, right? They weren't special kids. How come they are in these big schools and are doing so well? Because we're teaching them how to learn. That even learning is an art. Mm -hmm. There are so many people who don't know how to learn. So because you don't know how to learn, you're struggling with learning. Not because you're dumb. It's because you do not know how to learn. And you don't know how to learn because teaching style is one. You know everybody has their learning style. Some are visual learners. Everything that comes with pictures, they will catch it. Some are kinesthetic. They want to do it before they can understand and remember. Some are auditory. If you don't tell them, nothing is entering. 
but the school system is all auditory. We are talking plenty. So all the auditory learners are doing great. All the as for visual learners, they should go and sit in the book because it doesn't <laughs> exist. The most you can get is the guys writing on the board. It's no inspiration, no nothing. And as for the learning by doing people, <laughs> as for them, the school system wasn't great in mind because there are no practicality, you know. So for us, we decided to do learning that the children, because what we tend to forget is we think we're preparing them for the next stage of school and the next exam and the next, you know, certificate. But no, you, we are preparing them for life. No matter how long the children stay in your school, they will go out into the world. And now they will have to show working for all the things that they've learned. I'm sure you've heard about the 10,000 hour rule. That if you want to master anything, you have to learn it for 10,000 hours. That's equal to about three years to master anything. Mm -hmm. But we go to school from, do you know from kindergarten to the time you finish uni? <laughs> that's about 21 years of your life. You didn't master anything. That's cause, we need to go on a riot and go for our money. Because we've been robbed. But you can't blame them when they've been told to teach you fractions and you don't even know why you're learning the fraction. You just mark 5 over 5, excellent. I used to love that thing, by the way. But you know you're not excellent in anything. <laughs> because when they told you to share that apple with your friends, you, you cheated on them because you, not because you wanted to, but because you didn't know how to you know, do quarters and do it right. So for me, it was, it's always about breaking boundaries. It's always about shifting the goalposts. It's always about doing something the opposite way. I think, I think my biggest... It's a nemesis. It's, I like to turn things upside down. I don't know why I like doing that. I think I'm a very destructive person, which is good. It helps me because it cuts. It's also because I don't like spending too much time doing something. I like to move on quickly to something better and greater. And so if I can reverse engineer, make it faster and more inspirational, I'd rather do that than to follow what everybody is doing because you remember there's an Albert Einstein thing that says every person is a genius but if we spend all our time asking the fish to climb the tree we'll spend our entire <laughs> lifetime thinking it's stupid but if you tell the fish to swim first of all they are made to swim and so they'll do incredibly well as the monkey will climb the tree like nothing because it was born with agility the elephant is probably greater pulling down the tree. But if you tell, if you, so that's what the school system has done. You tell the ant to pull down the tree? You imagine. But if you tell the ants to build a colony, they'll build you probably the most beautiful cities in the world. So we need to stop this whole thing about we're trying to push square pegs in round holes mm -hmm. in our education system and allow hard work to exist in the school system. Because it's hard to have 30 kids and trying to get everybody to become who they were meant to become. Mm. But there's a beauty of standardizing intelligence. The thing with intelligence is you can standardize that. 
when people can think that's one way it's, mm -hmm. it's it can be standardized we can all critically think we can all problem solve we can all be innovative and creative we can all collaborate and communicate that's a competence that we can all do but we cannot all fall in love with mathematics because you said we should no so for me it's about really pushing the conversation to a point where there are more innovative ways that's it said that there are so many ways to kill a cat at the end of the day when we go out into the world nobody asks you which school you went to Nobody cares which school you are. Nobody cares what course you did. As long as you can do the task, the job, as long as you can be in a society and truly contribute to that society, that's what really matters. And if, until we begin to see it like that, we'll be beating our children for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> so moving away from subjects as we know them to skill base and competence base. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, what do you think is the hardest thing for children to learn? Not to do the things that they want to do. <laughs> I think it's it's one of the most mind-boggling things for children to not exist. It's like having a fish in a tank and telling them not to swim. It, it's it's such a difficult thing for them because they they were created to swim. They were children were created to explore. The truth that we tend to forget or neglect is that unlike you who know the world, they don't. Trying to figure it out. They are still trying to figure it out. And so the fact that you're not allowing them to touch the fire to see that it is hot. Is that? Oh, so you recommend that? Oh yeah, of course. Okay, wow. You know, let them put a candle, let them flick, let them feel because look, whether you let them do it today or when they're twenty-one, like those ones you talked about, they are going to experience it one way or the oh, other. Yeah. So, I think the hardest thing for them to learn is that the world is not as big and expansive. And, po and things are not as possible. You see, when you're a child, you think you can fly. And, and when we try to, in their childhood, let them know that the world is not set up like that, it's the most frustrating thing for them. Because whatever you're not made to experience, you will never ever be able to learn. If you experience that fire is hot, then you know that you can use that to cook and boil water and, and you know it helps you to do all of that and so for us what we what we did is to create a space where children can be children they can enjoy the beauty of childhood and the exploration and, and the inquiry and the discovery of what it truly means to be a human being who has not been touched who has not been indoctrinated. So what we are doing is educating them. We're not indoctrinating them. We're not telling you this is the way to go. We're telling you that these are the possibilities that exist. Find your way. So it's about hand-holding and pointing them to the different stars that exist. If you look at our galaxy, you know that we're not born to be one particular way. There are so many stars. 
you know, different kinds, different shapes. And so when when children are not given that opportunity, especially in childhood, to experience learning by learning through experience is one of the most difficult things for them. Hmm. Yeah. And you know, talking about difficulty is particularly Children with special needs, yeah. <laughs> children with dyslexia, yeah. children with autism. Yeah. What is your experience with such kids? And really, I feel this is the path for a parent to listen. Yeah. How do you deal with that? And what is that education pathway like yeah. for them as compared to what you would term the normal kid? So that's what, until the advent of mass education, formal education, nobody knew about ADHD mm-hmm. and there was nothing like that. You take dyslexia, for instance, is your inability to read, write, you know, decode language. So if education wasn't based on reading and writing, mm-hmm. we have dyslexic kids. Mm-hmm. I doubt it because when they are out on the field doing projects, nobody knows who has special needs. I don't even like to call them that. They are gifted children. Again, it's like God put those gifted, very special children into the world to challenge what we're doing and say, okay, great, you think you're a great teacher? There you go. Make this one great, let's see. For instance, if you take, I've worked with um, autistic children on the spectrum. So there's the ones on the Elon Musk syndrome, Asperger syndrome. (laughs) They're super bright. They get on a they they get interested in something and they stay on it for forever and they master it. Then two months down the line, they move completely away from that thing and then go and fixate about something else. So that's why he's got all kinds of things that he's doing. And then we have the ones that struggle through school because they have cognitive challenges, which means that they are intelligent. In doing many other things but cognitive strength will help you to read write do math that's where they have the challenges and so in our system we're able to help them navigate through those tides because because it's play-based and project-based learning you're able to express yourself in other ways which doesn't require you to for instance if you have speech delay by force you have to talk you can do what you what you want to express in a different way. It's hard to work with them because we also have teachers who have no background in working with children who have these special challenges. And so the teacher is dealing with, and if you take most of the learning challenges of these children, it's about behavior management. Mm-hmm. So everybody's supposed to sit and work in a group and do this project, but that one is all over the place. So how do you manage that? And for us, we've been able to design a system called executive functioning skills, which teaches the children to self-regulate. So how do you leave the children in a space and you give them a task and they stay on the task? How do they manage deadlines? How do they work with other children so their social skills how do they control their emotions because for them social communication is like their biggest challenge everybody is reading but I'm not able to read 
So they have some bouts of depression, you know, mental health challenges as well. But once the space, the space that we have is very inclusive. They don't even feel like they have any special nothing because all the kids are special in their own unique ways. And so they're able to, what we do is to pull them out. And our class groups, we don't have classrooms, by the way, we have learning spaces. And our class groups, we have dolphins, orcas, whales, sharks. We name them after the aquatic animals. And we have the penguins. So the penguins are those children you talk about. You know how penguins walk? Mm -hmm. They walk like that, but they'll still make it where they're going. <laughs> you know, so for us, it's, it's really appreciating who they are and working with them, holding their hands, to help them realize their truest potential. Some of the children we've been able to transform were rejected by most of the schools. They were taught to be difficult. There was even a kid that the mom came to cry about the fact that the school said they posed a threat to the teachers and the parents. And the children, how can you say that? Mm. It was because, again, ignorance can you know, let you do things that you're not supposed to do, but because you don't know what to do, that's why these things happen. And I think in Ghana as well, some education for teachers on how to work with these children will be so vital because there are so many of them. And the focus of like retraining, you know, constantly yes, yes, training. Yes, 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 training them. It's almost like the training has a pause. No, because in our school every Wednesday I do I do teacher training. I, I, I am a teacher trainer, so I do teacher training and it's one of the that we're always learning. The fact that we're if we can take a child and use that as a case study and figure out why it's not working on this kid and come up with all kinds of solutions and then it starts to work. There are children that this whole time we decide we're working on your behavior. We don't care whether you can read or write. As long as you're able to manage your behavior, you'll be able to learn. And it works like magic. So once our education is based on evidence, it's based on research, it helps us to know what we're doing. Hmm. Yeah. Um, for me, one of the last things I want to know is that we've talked so much about all the great work you're doing. We've talked <laughs> about the modules of education, mm -hmm. the impacts, punching holes into the system, the status quo, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> how do we scale this, right? Yeah. And there's always a challenge because no matter how great which school is, mm -hmm. it's not going to solve Ghana's yeah. education yeah. problem or by far yeah. the African continent. Yeah. So what are the small signs or what are the small steps, more particularly, we can take mm -hmm. so that we can have a more holistic education for that kid who mm -hmm. is unfortunately born by no fault mm -hmm. of theirs yeah. in Asawankese, yeah. you know? I think we need, and the misconception is that children in all these high-end schools are getting better education. It's not true. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you this for a fact. Because they're, they're also still learning the same thing. Maybe they have fancier classrooms. <laughs> That's the only difference. Now, with what we're doing, what we, what we can do to scale up is every school should look at itself as a research hub. Mm. It should be like a lab. Mm -hmm. You know, it's you come in there, you're trying to figure out why things are happening the way they are, you're building hypotheses, you're, you're self-evaluating... It should be like, you know when you go visit all these science people? They have all kinds of things they're doing. 
That's number one. Number two, the fact that we think that everything is so expensive. You see, when we talk about things that are transformative, most of them, honestly, we st- in my school, we count, we teach your kids how to count with stones. Ain't nobody buying no nothing. Because the truth is that if you raise children thinking everything has to be bought with money, what they grow up to believe is that everything, if I want to do something, I have to go and find money. Yeah. There are so many people who tell them, why don't you start something? Hey, me, I don't have money. <laughs> First of all, if you know how to draw, why don't you even start from there? You know, start selling paintings. Because sometimes it's not a drawing that opens a door. It's you going to try and sell it to that man. And he's seeing you your and asking you whatever. Yep. And mm-hmm. that and that one thing will lead to the other. And now you're managing his business is because you're such a bold guy to even mm-hmm. think you can sell him your painting. So I, I believe that in our own unique ways, in our schools, in our homes, as teachers, as parents, as caregivers, we need to start to question what is happening. And whether or not, I leave you with this question, will my child survive the world as it is today and the unforeseeable future that we don't know what it will become? If the answer is no, take matters into your own hands or move them to a space that you think they're actually preparing their kids for life or do something about it. Because what I say for the wits grown, I'm glad you mentioned that we cannot solve everybody's problem. I am preparing the army generals. Let's just imagine everybody else is preparing the soldiers to go and fight the war. We need the leaders. We need the people who charge them to war, who bring about the strategies and if you read about Sanchu's art of war, it will tell you sometimes you don't even go to war by virtue of what the leader is saying or how they are thinking. And so in our own small ways, what we can do is to really push your children to go beyond what's being taught in schools. You know, why are you not teaching them to fix a car tire? Your 15-year-old can help you out in that way. Why is your child not learning a trade? When I was 12 years old, I went to NIIT to learn computer science. When I was in that class, the youngest person at the time was 35, and they were only there because they needed promotion at work. And so they had to come and add it to their long list of diplomas that they had. But I just was just there because, well, my parents didn't ever make me sit down and do nothing. It's worthy to know that, I think, in your school, mm-hmm. there are all these kids who are learning to do clay stuff. It's crazy. They're doing coding, they're doing yeah. robotics, and they're doing Excel spreadsheets. There are four, there are three. Why are they doing those things? Because they matter. If you truly can identify the things that matter, when we do photography in school, it's like a charm. The kids are... Oh my goodness, this is cool. And they understand the concepts of shadows and lighting. And then they are taking pictures with their parents when they tell mommy, clean the lens. The fact that you even know where a lens is. Okay, this is really cool. Now, for me, I think that we can all step up. We can all do things differently. Driving around with your kids... Ask them to read what's on the billboard mm-hmm. and ask them whether or not they understand what's... Do you think it's even a cool billboard or they should have 
told the guy to chew more chicken. Something like that. Spark conversations. It helps. You know, when, you, when, when you're folding a napkin, ask them what shapes they're seeing. Because if you fold it this way, it becomes a rectangle. You fold it that way, it becomes a square. Then you it really it goes back to the thing you're talking about, right? <laughs> like, learning, like continuous learning. Like, yeah, everything learning, is an avenue for learning. learning. It's not when you sit down stops. and you ask no, no, one no, plus no, one. No, 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 no. Learning mm-hmm. never stops. I have children who come to my office, they pick something. I'm like, do you know what that is? They know. That's a bookmark. They ask me, what's a bookmark? I said, okay, if you're reading a book and you don't want to forget the page, you put it there and will mark the page in the book. Ooh, that's cool. Then they go home there and tell me, why don't you have a bookmark? And then mom is thinking, oh my God, not that school again. <laughs> First of all, what's a bookmark? You know, kids have conversations like, and it's how the learning should be so active and passive, where you're just throwing things around. So there's a concept in my school called mudding, where you throw things at children. Mm, yeah, and whatever sticks sticks if it doesn't move along and then children ask their parents do you know that statue of liberty was a gift from the french to the u.s and mom is i can't deal with this child again that kid is five why are they having those conversations because somebody is teaching them those things swivel chair fast 50 people what swivel chair is Mm, okay i remember i was somewhere and i told the kid to go sit in a couch that boy wouldn't listen and in my head, I'm thinking, is he a stubborn kid or what? No. Then I realize he doesn't know what a couch is. So I'm thinking, go ahead and sit here. So I pointed and he said, ah, chair. <laughs> yeah. But it's not because he didn't want to sit. It was because he didn't know what a couch is. Mm-hmm. So I'm telling you, it's so basic. It's so Intangible. It, it, the intangibles is about those bolts and nuts we started talking about. Mm-hmm. It's not about the car tire is that fancy school your kid goes to. What are the bolts and nuts they're really putting into your kid? If it's not there, find it for them. Or at least question what they're doing. And not just, you know, this whole peer pressure way of educating your children. It's not the way to go. Because if I told you that I went to some of the normal schools, you'll probably not believe me. But it's true. It's not about what school I went to. It's about how much learning I actually did in those schools that I, I was in. So, your child can even stay at home and learn everything they know. Some of these homeschool kids are brilliant because there's no system, there's no timetable, there's no ringing of bells. They learn as they go. So, everything is a learning process. So, their mother is cooking with them and telling them, Do you know how to spell? Yeah. Okay, this is how as well. And they are learning. Meanwhile, in the school, you're, you don't have opportunity to do that. Well, unless it's the wit school, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I think what you described also points at a lot of what, what you described. is kind of things become too abstract. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. And this is like, I mean, the example you gave is like the margarine or the calculations when you yeah. make something. Yeah. And I think the other thing also goes back to abstract. It's like once you define your interest, usually you find out people become good at maths. Maybe he's a carpenter oh, yeah. and he's good at this, or oh, he's doing fashion and all of a sudden he's not consciously crunching the crunching numbers. Crunching the numbers. And but now even he's if he such needs. a math genius. Yeah. Exactly. It's so true. So many people become math geniuses when they become entrepreneurs and now you have to do your own accounting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of a sudden you can cook up the numbers again. <laughs> because it's money. When money is involved, everybody sparks up interest. 
you know and so yeah it's so important that we move the learning from abstract and move it from classroom to industry like are they going to industry so we take our kids on field trips you go and see the farm it's not we're not telling you about cauliflower anymore this is how it looks like this is how it's grown and it helps them to think that okay being a farmer is not so bad because Mm -hmm. wow we went to the farm and it was so cool right rather than just sitting down in some corner and talking about farms go and experience that and i think that once something becomes tactile you can see it you can feel it you can experience it it's a whole new game yeah yeah um i think it's just (laughs) truly amazing how we have these conversations and we are solving these problems on the podcast yeah. not just our mouth because I guess I'm always doing something but I mean I don't know what to say because I'm completely blown away <laughs> but I'm happy that you joined us on the podcast for Thank shows you so much for having me um, this has been a very reflective experience on I think this is the best episode for an early yeah. mother yeah, yeah, or yeah, parent yeah. who wants to really think around what really education means for their children yeah. or someone who's preparing like Daniel yeah. <laughs> on what really education means for their children and how to get them the best possible education and you know how you said like kind of project that genius Mm -hmm. that is already in every child and we are very thankful that you're able to do that oh i'm grateful you had me here it's i think it's the most enjoyable conversation yeah yeah we optimize for enjoyable oh yeah (laughs) because i've been able to truly tell what's on my mind i speak to myself a lot and i'm thinking who will listen to my blah 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 but it's so good that you ask some of those pertinent questions. It's just been incredibly insightful. Even for me, I've, I've learned a lot just by... Reflecting. I didn't even know that I knew all these things. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's really great to have this conversation. And I truly hope that uh, we've been able to touch a nerve. Even a, and I say this with every fiber in me. Even if it changed one I'm person's pressing. life. Yeah. That's the Change Africa podcast. Oh, oh, that's great. Oh, wow. See, see, see. You didn't tell me, I promise. Uh, Yeah, even if it's just one person, it took one person to to create a whole forest at the TED Talk. Um, um, Stephanie talked about that, Mm -hmm. how one guy in India created a whole forest. And I think that's what we're basically doing. And uh, I think on behalf of the audience, <laughs> so this has been the Change Africa podcast with me, Isaac, and Daniel, and we've had a very brilliant conversation around education and how to really transform it, especially for young children mm-hmm. from pre-education to primary school. And we've had Precious Bonsi, <laughs> who is the founder of the World Group Vets um, School, serial entrepreneur. Great um, podcast guest. <laughs> Amongst other qualities. Um, to your CV now. You qualify for that. And we've been having this podcast here at the Taft College. So the Taft College is a new creative school. We've been speaking about creativity a lot, right? And the Taft College is allowing that practical education to come to Ghanaians um, who are really inspired around doing creative work. So we are here in their studios, right? Um, beside me is a is a very beautiful uh, music studio, and there is a fashion school. There's a bunch of things that you can do, and it's a tuition free college. So please check out taf dot 
Tafcollege.com. I think it's tafghana.com, Taf College Ghana. So Google Taf College, TF College, and learn about the inspiring work we're doing. But this, of course, is the Change Africa podcast TEDx special edition featuring amazing guests like Precious, who have been on the TEDx page, um, who have been on the TEDx um, stage. Yeah. And we're going to be bringing more of those insightful conversations to you here on the Change Africa podcast. Don't forget to tune in, subscribe everywhere you listen to your podcast.